Well, good morning, Stafford Baptist Church and visitors. It is my pleasure to bring you God's word this morning as we continue in our service in worship of our God of, of heaven and earth. If I, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Kelton. I serve as one of the pastors here of Stafford Baptist Church. Uh, please, if you would, come and introduce yourself to me at the door afterwards. This morning we continue our sermon series in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, with our final sermon in the life of the first patriarch, Abraham. And after today we'll be pausing from our study uh, in the book of Genesis, returning to it, Lord willing, in, in the year 2022. The plan is eventually to get through the whole book. So please open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Today... We will be in Genesis chapter 22, verse 20, all the way through chapter 25, verse 11. Two full chapters and some change. But before we read from God's Word, it's appropriate for us to pause and ask for God to bless our hearing and for the proclaiming of God's Word. Please, would you join with me in in making this prayer your own? And if you agree with me, please say amen at the end. Let's, Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we joyfully confess that, that the words we read today are not merely words from Moses. He spoke from you, carried along by your Holy Spirit. We thank you now for giving us life and sight by your word. So we pray, Father, that you would give us grace to pay attention to your word like a lamp shining in a dark place. By the same Spirit, we pray that you would shine light on your beauty and goodness, that we would know and love you, our God, and Christ, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. Well, when you're homesick, what do you long for? After a long week away on vacation or maybe just a a long day at the office, what do you think of at home that brings you comfort? I'm sure you think of certain significant people. Home, they say, is where the heart is. Or maybe you think of a certain chair or a food or a certain smell. You know, I grew up in a valley filled with acres of tobacco fields. And and in the fall around this time, when the leaves are hung in in barns to dry, the whole town smells like the best cigar. So when I miss my hometown, I want to smell a really good cigar. Those desires to to see, to taste, even to to smell, that bring us some comfort. They they remind us that we're not yet home. We're not yet home. Sometimes, though, we find desires in our hearts that remind us this whole world is not our home. Chronic pain, our own sin, the loss of dear family and Friends, wars, injustice all remind us year after year this world is not our home. C.S. Lewis observed if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made 
for another world. The truth is, Christian, brother, sister, we were made for another world. We are sojourners and exiles in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts are homesick not just for the comforts of of a home, but our heavenly home. Our sermon text this morning at the end of Abraham's life teaches us of his desire for a home. But not only in this world. As a stranger and exile in a foreign land, he was seeking a a new homeland. Not ultimately in, in Canaan, but one from heaven. And in this text, we will see that God preserves his people. And he will preserve his people until Abraham's children, we too, will reach that home one day. Our main idea this morning, our our comfort until we reach that home is, is this. Trust the Lord to preserve his people and one day provide us a homeland. Trust the Lord to preserve his people and one day provide us a homeland. In these last stories of Abraham's life, he is still living in in tents as a foreigner. But Abraham receives the first fruits of that land, showing by faith that God will one day bring his family into that land as home. And God will providentially provide a wife for the promised son, ensuring that the people of promise will be preserved. Trust the Lord to preserve His people and one day provide us a homeland. Our sermon this morning will have three points. First, property purchased. That in the end of chapter 22 all the way through 23. Second, the servant's success. Servant's success. That in chapter 24. And finally, faith finished. Faith finished. That in the beginning of chapter 25, verses 1 through 11. Property purchased. Servant's success. And faith finished. Unfortunately, for the sake of time, we won't be able to read the whole passage this morning. But let's start by reading from God's Word from chapter 23. We'll read all of chapter 23 together. So read with me, starting in chapter 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, In the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zoar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property, for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the city gate, at the gate of the city. 
No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is, that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with a cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for your burying place by the Hittites. The word of the Lord. Well, the the princess Sarah has now departed. The significant era of salvation history is over. But surprisingly, Moses' focus in chapter 23 is not on Sarah, but rather the land for her grave. Our first point this morning, property purchased. Property purchased here in chapter 23. But, but before Sarah's death, I, I want us to look up into chapter 22. We have a short report there of Abraham's relatives. Look with me at, at verse 20 of chapter 22. Now after these things, that is... The, the events of chapter 22 of Abraham offering Isaac. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Well, you'll be forgiven if you've forgotten the name of Abraham's brother Nahor and his sister-in-law Milcah. They were only mentioned way back in, in Genesis 11. Moses goes on in the next verses to list Nahor's children, this report that Abraham hears. But this isn't just a list for list's sakes. No, they they never are in Scripture. Moses highlights for us particularly one of Abraham's grand nieces there in verse 23. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. It's the only daughter mentioned in this list, so it should stick out to us. Well, unbeknownst to to anyone else, God is already making preparations for the next generation. What we'll see soon in chapter 24. But first, the matters of chapter 23. Sarah, at the age of 127, has died. This would make Abraham 137 and their son Isaac 37. The patriarch has lost his his soulmate, his wife of of at least 60 years, but likely more. His partner in the the great promises of God and and their great acts of faith together. She joined with him to travel hundreds of miles from home to a foreign land. And in that journey, seeing God provide and protect, reward and rescue... But, but honestly, the impact of her death is not Moses' concern in this, this chapter. It only gets two verses at the start of the chapter. And, 
And the verse about her burial at the end of the, the 20 verses in our chapter 17 are about the purchase of a burial place. As one commentator put it, it is remarkable that Moses, who relates the death of Sarah in a single word, uses so many in describing her burial. But we shall soon see that the latter record is not superfluous. So let's examine this chapter together, brothers and sisters, and, and consider why is the purchase of this land so important to Moses? Well, look with me at, at verse 3. He rises up from his dead wife and addresses the inhabitants of the land, the, the sons of Heth, Heth, who is the son of Canaan, known as, as the Hittites here. We later see that this transaction is happening at the, the gate of the city, the place of important business transactions. And in verse 4, we, we have Abraham calling himself to the Hittites, a sojourner and foreigner among them. Still, now after something like 60 years in the land of Canaan, this is not his home. And that's what makes his request there in verse 4 strange. Normally, foreigners would not be allowed to purchase property, to, to hold it in perpetuity. Well, we see that the Hittites hold Abraham in high regard there in verse 6, a, a, a prince of God. So they offer to him their, their best tombs to bury his wife in. Well, in deference, he, he bows to them in verse 7. And he makes his request specific. He wants the cave at the end of Ephraim's field. And in verse 9 particularly, he wants to buy it at full price. Well, in reply, Ephron the Hittite offers the cave for his use. But Abraham insists he wants to buy. I don't think what we're seeing here is the difference between getting it for free or paying a fair price for it, as would be just. No, I think it's the difference between borrowing it and legally owning it. Abraham wants a claim to the land that is beyond dispute. Here, in the presence of all at the city gate, he wants the deed to the land to be his and his family's forever. In verse 15... Ephron has a, a subtle way of suggesting a price. What's 400 shekels of silver between us? Well, that's about 10 pounds of silver. Coins weren't common in, in use, so they used weights. And this is way overpriced. Abraham is being taken advantage of. But just like God gave him the stature, considered a, a prince of God among them, well, God has also given Abraham riches. Even by Genesis 13, long ago, Abraham was already, it says, rich in silver. So we see Abraham quickly willing to depart from this world's riches in order to secure the land. So we see in verse 16, he listened, he, he weighed out the silver according to the measure of the merchants. In verses 17 and 18, read like, like an ancient deed giving the specific plot purchased by Abraham. And that in the presence of, of many witnesses who can attest that this land is now owned by Abraham for the full purchase price. 400 shekels. And finally, in verse 19, Abraham buries Sarah, his wife, in the field that he's purchased in the land of Canaan. 
Verse 20 is the punchline. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. The point of the story is less about Sarah's death and more about her resting place. Finally, Abraham has a part of the land of Canaan. Now, he he doesn't build a home there. He doesn't live there. But this is the first place, first part of the promised land that is actually in his possession. Abraham is a, a sojourner and foreigner in the land. The land that is promised to him by God. He he already knows. God has told him that neither he nor his sons will finally inherit it. They'll have to wait four generations before God will finally remove the inhabitants and bring his family in to possess it. But here, in chapter 24, the first fruits of that land, the down payment. We should understand what Abraham doing here as an act of faith. What sense would it make to invest so much money in a cave if he thought he was going to lose it? If it would never come to him and his family? This purchase, not alone, this purchase is his expression of confidence that one day the land will be given to, God, to him by God for his descendants. You know, we'll see at the end of our passage this morning that Abraham himself will be buried in this tomb along with his his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, still longing for but not yet possessing that land. In fact, the last passage of the book that we're studying in Genesis 50 is Joseph making his brothers swear at the end of his life that they will bring up his bones from Egypt to be buried in this cave when one day they return. All acts of faith trusting that one day this land will be theirs, though not yet. You know, Abraham could have easily sent Sarah's body back home to be buried in their homeland where their families were. But no, we see Abraham trust God that that even if he did not possess it yet, this land would be their home. You know, we read earlier in our service from, from Hebrews chapter 11, that described Abraham as desiring a better country. It says, not just Canaan and the promised land. It it says that he desired a heavenly country. We learn that, that Abraham was content to live as a sojourner, not returning to his homeland because he was homesick, because he longed for the city whose designer and builder is God. I think we should understand his purchase of this plot of land as an expression of this desire for a heavenly home. His faith that God would provide it. You know, Christians, we too live as sojourners, as strangers and exiles in this world. This world is not our home. But but like Abraham, we can be satisfied with the first fruits. Secured by God's blessing, like this small plot of land, because we know fullness is coming. One day the promised land will be ours, even if we don't have it yet. You know, Christian, the the number in your bank account won't matter in 1,000 years. 
Like Abraham, we can borrow that day's, a thousand years from now, that day's peace and freedom and live in it today. Or not just your bank account, pain. Today's pain will be forgotten in a thousand years. Or a hundred other difficulties or anxieties. And I'm not saying that, that money isn't important or that pain isn't hard. I'm saying, Christian, have the vision of Abraham by faith. The things that are seen like silver are transient. But the things that are unseen, like the home that is to come, is eternal. Live like Abraham, Christian. Silver is transient. But, but he knew that what he was buying was eternal, everlasting. So live like Abraham in light of your everlasting home, saint. Well, the, the property purchased here in chapter 23. Now let's look to chapter 24 in our second point, the servant's success. We'll start by reading the first nine verses. So read with me chapter 24 starting in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, who had, put, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the women may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send you his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand on the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Well, we here have the last recorded words of, of Abraham, full of, of faith now, repeating with confidence God's promise to him that God himself will give this land. And we see his confidence that too God will give for his son a, a wife. But we see even there, if not, he will not manipulate God. He will leave it to God. This is always the utterance of faith. God is able. God will. But even if not, we will continue to trust God. We see in this last chapter of Abraham's life the transformation of God's grace in his life in confident faith now at the end. In verse 1, we have a wonderful summary of, of God's blessing to him. The Lord, it says, had blessed Abraham in all things. God had been absolutely faithful to Abraham throughout his life. Blessed in all things, it says. You know, we're, we're reading here from the, the book of beginnings. This book has the beginnings of the curse. But now in Abraham, the beginning of, of a blessing 
The curse due to, to Adam and Eve's rebellion back in, in Genesis 3 is, is slowly unraveling here by God's promise. First through this man, Abraham, blessed in all things, but one day to, to all nations through his descendants. So Abraham is concerned here at the end of his life to see that his son has a wife. To see that that, that blessing continue through his son's family. But I'm sure you noticed here that, that he is not content to get a wife for his son from the Canaanites there in verse 3. Remember back in Genesis 9, cursed be Canaan? Abraham knows that the Canaanites will one day be driven from this land. So he wants his son to marry from his own line, the line of, of Shem, Canaan's brother. But also notice that he doesn't want he or or his son to leave the land. That would be to to break God's command, his command to to go from your country to the land that I will show you. He understands that that he and his son and his son's descendants are to, to wait in this land for God's fulfillment of that promise. So we have his servant here swearing an oath. To go on this mission, blessed by God, to find a wife for the promised son of the promised line. So let's read of this journey now in verses 10 through 15. 10 through 15 of chapter 24. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please, Let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Well, we see here the servant load all kinds of gifts onto ten camels and make the journey back to Abraham's hometown. This journey would have likely taken months. It's, it's hundreds of miles. But Moses isn't really concerned with the journey. The only thing he says is he arose and went. The, the point is what happens there. Well, we see when he gets there that this servant is a man of faith as well, of, of prayer. So he he prays, starting in verse 12, as soon as he arrives. A desperate prayer for guidance and for steadfast love to to Abraham. You see in, in verse 14 his particular request. Read it again with me. Let the young women to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. I think we should understand this request as a, a test of character. 
Someone who would offer water to the servant would prove themselves hospitable. But to water camels as, as well. Ten camels. And camels, when thirsty, can drink about 25 gallons. That's 250 gallons. A typical jar would carry about three gallons. So that's something like 85 trips down into the well, back up again to water his camels. The servant in this request is looking for a woman who is remarkably kind, generous, and and industrious. And before he even finishes praying, verse 15, behold, who appears but Rebekah? Now, the the servant doesn't know who it is, doesn't know her name or her family, but but we do. Moses tells us here he introduced her back at the end of chapter 22. And remember, unbeknownst to all, God has already made preparations for the next generation. And here she comes. In the verses that follow, 16 and on, it's exactly as he prayed. He asked for water. She quickly accommodates And without him asking, she volunteers to water his camels in verse 19. So she draws water for the camels, we guess maybe two hours worth of work. As the man watches in interest, had God answered his prayers? Certainly, she offers the water. She's kind, she's industrious. Plus, in verse 16, she's attractive. But is she of the right family? So we have in verse 23, he asks, Tell me, please, whose daughter are you? And in verse 24, of course, she says to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. That being Abraham's brother. So she is from Abraham's family, daughter of her brother's son. So the servant responds in verse 26 in in worship. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. We see that the servant understands what happens to be evidence of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. To Abraham. And so he blesses God, worships him here. He recognizes that that God has led him over hundreds of miles to Abraham's family here at the well to a wonderful wife for Isaac. And of course, this providence is amazing. Rebecca runs to tell her her brother Laban in verse 29. They invite the servant in, give him a room and, and food. But before he will even eat, he must share his mission. He's, he's only hinted at it to Rebecca in his exuberant prayer. So we have in verses 34 all the way through 48, a scene-by-scene retelling of the first half of the chapter. Abraham's charge, his journey, and, and the episode at the well. Look with me at the conclusion in verse 49. It, it requires a decision. He says to them, Now then... If you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He says, in essence, are you, Rebecca's family, going to stand in the way? If so, tell me now so I can can go and look elsewhere. But 
We see in the verses that follow that they recognize that this is from the Lord. Abraham, or sorry, Rebekah's family will not stand in the way. So he breaks out the gifts, the bride price, jewelry of, of silver and gold and garments for Rebekah and her family. They eat and spend the night. And the next day, the very next day, the servant wants to get onto it to return home. Can you imagine making a journey for months to spend one night at your destination all to turn around and do it again? He was so excited to deliver the good news and not just good news but a wife to his master that he couldn't wait to get going. Well, despite some protests from the family, Rebecca herself agrees to go and I think in that proving herself to be a worthy partner of Isaac. This is a faith like, like Abraham when he was called to go. She sees in this the providence of God and, and is willing to travel across the desert to meet a man she has never seen and be his, his wife. So her family blesses her and she goes. Read the conclusion with me starting in verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roi and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and co covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Isaac, the son of promise, has a wife. The clear theme of this chapter is, is repeated time and time again. God showing steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham, his servant. And of course we know it's essential for Isaac to, to find a wife. He is the son of promise who, like Abraham, must have children to carry on the line of promise. It is through Isaac, not Ishmael, that Abraham's descendants will be numbered like the stars of the sky. It is through Isaac that all nations will be blessed. It is through his children that the promised male descendant, the snake crusher, will one day come. And here we have it. The end of chapter 24, God showing his steadfast love and faith, faithfulness, providing a wife for Isaac. That's 67 verses to show in great detail another link in the chain of God's preservation of His people. You know, God promised that there would be enmity between Satan and the offspring of, of Eve. Satan will seek to end her line. Maybe, maybe by having Isaac marry into the Canaanites, the cursed people destined for destruction. But instead, God preserves His people across thousands of miles. And He will continue across thousands of years through slavery, through wars, through exile. The line always preserved against every threat. And one day, from this line, Jesus Christ comes. 
And that line continues, not now by physical descent from Abraham, but now by spiritual descent in his church. Brothers and sisters, the story of chapter 24 is not to show that God will providentially provide you a spouse, though that may be true. He may providentially provide you a spouse. Think about it. Moses is writing this story for the nation wandering in the desert. He is not trying to reassure them that God will provide them wives. No, he is writing to reassure them that God has and God will continue to preserve the line of Abraham. He will preserve them and bring them into that promised land. The point is that God will preserve his people. Even today, God will preserve his people, the church, despite every danger. I think if you were to survey most Christians in America, they would probably say that they're concerned for the future of the church. It seems that things are getting worse. Our neighbors are getting more hostile. The world is getting more and more lost. It might weigh on you even that things are looking pretty dim. Our task is only getting harder year by year. But do you know that the church has survived 2,000 years, often in far worse circumstances than one we face today? And not just survived, but I might add, thrived. Church kingdoms of this world rise and fall, but the kingdom of heaven will never fail. You know, its, it's earthly embassies, churches might close their doors, but, but Jesus has promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God preserves His people. And that's the message of Genesis 24. It's another link in the chain of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to keep His people. Not only to Abraham, but to us as well, His children of faith. The chain that started in Genesis 3 and will go all the way through Revelation 22 and on and on and on. As He prospered the way of Abraham's servant, He will prosper the way of the church. Colossians 1.15 says that in Christ, yes, in that Galilean carpenter, all things hold together, especially his body, the church. You know, and the power of his preservation is nothing other than the gospel. The good news of Christ's death and resurrection, the Bible tells us, is God's power for salvation. God builds and keeps His church through the proclamation of of Christ's atoning substitutionary death on a cross. Jesus died on the cross for all who will repent of their sins and, and by faith turn to Him. Trust in His death. You and I and all people can be forgiven of our sins and have the hope of a heavenly home, not because of any good works that we do, but by the merits and grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that gospel brings us into a new kingdom, 
an eternal kingdom. Here in part, but what we await for in full. Yes, we have that small plot of land, this church, this body, but not the inheritance yet. At the end, God will judge all people and those who in Christ are righteous will join Him forever in our new and perfect home. This whole world made perfect. The meek shall inherit the earth And you know, to the world outside these doors, this message sounds like foolishness. But to those who are saved, this is the wisdom and power of God. God uses what is foolish and weak to shame the wise and strong. Paul can write, when when we feel like we have received the death sentence... When we feel like the church is is doomed, God uses that to make us rely on God rather than ourselves. Remember, saints, we serve a crucified Savior. His greatest victory was an apparent defeat. So God, too, will use what seems like it will lead to our defeat for His victory. And one day with Abraham, he will in victory bring all of us to our heavenly homeland. Let's look at the final verses of our passage this morning in chapter 25, 1 through 11. The end of Abraham's story and our third point, faith finished. Faith finished. At the start of chapter 25, we learn that Abraham had a second wife, Keturah, and a number of other sons. But they are not Abraham's heir. Look at verses 5 and 6 in particular. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. Here we see Abraham provide for his other sons, but his inheritance goes to his son Isaac. He sends his other sons east out of the promised land. It is as God told him when he sent his other son away, Ishmael. It is through Isaac that your offspring will be named. Pick it up again in verse 7 through the end, or 11. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years And was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son. And Isaac settled at Beer Lahai Roi. While we come to the end of the first patriarch's life, he dies at the end of age of 175 years. He actually lives to see Isaac have children, Jacob and Esau. You can figure out that math by looking at verse 27 or 26 later this afternoon. God had had promised in Genesis 15 that, that he would go to his fathers in peace, buried in a good old age. And, and this is what happens exactly. And after his death, God blesses Isaac. His covenant and steadfast love passes to the heir of the covenant, 
to be carried on to the next generation. Again, we read earlier in Hebrews 11, Abraham died in faith. Faith finished. Not having received the things promised. God had promised him way back in Genesis 12, land, seed, and blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. Well, here Abraham only had a square of land and not enough even to build a home on. He could count his children and grandchildren through Sarah on one hand. And he had been a blessing only to a a few meager nations. God's promises of land, seed, and and blessing were still in, in infancy. But God is faithful. He would bring all of those promises to fruition. And you know, brother and sister, still more awaits us. As Abraham's children by faith, we can trust the Lord to preserve his people and one day provide us a homeland. And the homeland we look for, brothers and sisters, is not a plot of land in the Middle East, but a new heaven and a new earth. With Abraham, we seek a heavenly homeland. And we can trust that God himself will preserve his people, the church, until we reach that land. Let me close by reminding you of Jesus' promise that we read earlier in our service. John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Church, we are almost home. He has gone before us to prepare our homeland. We look forward to the day when He will return to take us home to be with Him forever. To join Abraham and and all the saints, no longer walking by faith, but now in our heavenly home, beholding Christ by sight. Lord, haste the day. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise this morning that you have promised your return, that Christ has gone before us to prepare a place. Not a a, a physical plot of land in the Middle East or anywhere in this world, but Father, a new heavens and a new earth. And from that heaven, Lord, we await a Savior. Father, I pray that we would share the faith of Abraham, our father. Lord, that we would live in this world as sojourners, as strangers and exiles waiting for our home in heaven. Lord, that we would live by faith knowing that that though we only have the promise in down payment one day, we will enjoy it in full. So Lord, we pray haste the day, the return of Christ our Savior, that we would enjoy the blessings, the fulfillment of all your promises, that we would see Christ our Savior in full forever. It's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.